0: One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light.
1: The title of this episode is The Revelation of Angels. I believe this is going to be very interesting, very informative, and very intriguing. Angels fill many roles in the creation. Biblically, they are identified as worshipers, warriors, watchers, messengers, ministers, protectors, and administrators of God's affairs in heaven and on earth. They are vitally important to the plans and purposes of God Almighty. However, There are many misconceptions and differing opinions in various religions concerning their nature, their functions, and to what degree human beings can interact with angels. We will be contrasting these views and examining the biblical account as well, which we will begin with. I'm not sure how long this series will be—at least two or three— episodes, but we will be covering this subject thoroughly. I am going to teach this subject by asking a series of questions. Number one, what are angels? Angels are spirit beings. In other words, they do not have physical bodies, though at times there are accounts in the Bible where they were allowed to assume physical forms In interacting with human beings, which is very interesting. Two scriptures verify these two statements. First of all, Psalm 104 verse 4 says that God makes his angel spirits, his ministers, a flame of fire. So in that verse, they are referred to as God's ministers and depicted symbolized, represented as a flame of fire, which to me speaks of a burning passion to fulfill the will of God and to connect the two worlds, a very intense descriptive way of referring to angels. God makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Also in Hebrews 13 verse 2 the admonition is given, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. And so that is a verification that sometimes they can assume a physical appearance. Some of the most quoted passages in the Bible about angels are the following two. Psalm 91 verses 9 through 12 says this, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now that sounds like a person in covenant with God will have absolutely no problems in your life. That's not necessarily the case. However, there is a measure of divine protection through angelic intervention that is intensified in the life of a believer. I know personally I have faced circumstances where I should have died at least 10 times in my life. But I believe there was supernatural protection in my life, and most likely it was angelic in nature. I've had a knife held to my neck when my life was threatened. I've been shot at because of street preaching. I have had a group of Hindu radicals charge a platform with the intention of beating me up and then dragging me through the city tied to the bumper of their car. I've even been on a jet plane that had an engine blow up and catch on fire. And yet in all of these incidents, there was an amazing divine protection in my life. Because I believe if you're walking with God, that nothing can take you out of this world until the appointed time. And I believe God's given his angels charge over me. And many of you that know God could say the same thing. Also in Hebrews chapter one, verses 13 and 14, this powerful revelation is spoken. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Or the King James Version says, those who are the heirs of salvation. So in those two passages, we find out that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation, and God has given them a charge to protect those who are in a covenant relationship with him. So far, it's very intriguing to find out the role that they fill. Number two, my second question, are angels created beings? And if so, when did that happen? Let me reference Psalm 33, verse six, that says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth now the word host simply means a multitude of anything and yet in this particular passage i believe it refers to the multitude of angels that fill the celestial world by the word of the lord the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth so in the third heaven the realm called paradise, where the manifest presence of God exists, there are multitudes of angels that were created by the breath of God's mouth. Even as God breathed into a clay form when he created Adam and he became a living soul, in the very beginning God breathed and a multitude of angels came out of him. Innumerable angels. Can you imagine just thinking about that stretches my mind. Apparently, they were created before the natural cosmos. They are referred to in the book of Job as Bin Elohim. That's the original Hebrew words that mean sons of God. Let me give you a powerful scripture, Job chapter 38, verses 4 and 7 says, and incidentally, this is where God is asking Job a series of questions. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, why do I say that phrase, sons of God, refers to angels? Because in the very beginning of the book of Job. It talks about a time when the sons of God gathered together before the Lord and Satan came into their midst as well. And so it's definitely referring to a celestial gathering and the angels being created out of the breath of God's mouth are direct manifestations of his creativity and therefore they are called sons of God, ben Elohim. Think of that, that when God laid the foundations of the earth, when he created the world, when he created the planets, when he created the Milky Way galaxy, when he created the multitudes of galaxies that filled the universe, when he laid the foundations of the earth, in the very beginning, the sons of God, the angelic beings that already existed, shouted for joy. As they witnessed the power of creation. That's something to ponder. Now, what words in Hebrew and Greek are translated into the word angel or angels, and are there hidden mysteries contained in the original languages? Absolutely. In the Hebrew, the word is Malach, that's spelled M A L A K in the English alphabet. Interestingly, The word malak is also translated messenger and ambassador. In the Greek, the word translated angels is angelos, spelled A-G-G-E-L-O-S. And it is also translated messenger, like the Hebrew word. The coming of both John the Baptist and the Messiah are foretold in the Old Testament using the Hebrew word malach. And so it not only is used to refer to the spirit beings that inhabit the heavenly sphere, but they are used in reference to certain human beings as well. Malachi chapter three, verse one says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts now in that one verse john the baptist is prophesied he's spoken of as the messenger that will prepare the way before the messiah and the messiah himself is referred to as the messenger of the covenant and in both those Parts of Malachi three one, the Hebrew word is Malach, which is normally a reference to angels, and so this word has applications that are very intriguing. This particular prophecy, Malachi three one, was repeated in Matthew eleven ten, Mark chapter one verse two, and Luke chapter seven verse twenty seven. Using the word angelos. Interestingly, the word angelos is also used concerning pastors of churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation. That doesn't mean that there's some kind of connection between angels and pastors, but it does mean that they are both called to be messengers or voices of God, ambassadors. Of the creator of the universe that communicate his message to those who will hear. Now it gets really intense. Surprisingly, God also uses this term concerning himself. In the Old Testament, when the pre incarnate Christ manifested at various times to various people, and that's the Messiah, the Son of God making a manifestation prior to the baby that was born in Bethlehem in the Old Testament era. He was often referred to as the quote-unquote angel of the Lord. And if you'll notice in your Bible, it's usually with a capital A. For instance, let me give you an example. In Exodus chapter three, it talks about how Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And listen now, verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush, yet the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. And then God spoke to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, in that passage of scripture, the angel of the Lord is clearly identified as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If that was an ordinary angel to make the statement, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, would have been an utterly blasphemous thing. And so once again, the word angel is used in reference to God himself when God brings a special message So, you can see the word covers a wide variety of situations and circumstances. Sometimes the Greek word that is translated angel is a reference to something that is not angelic at all. And that brings me to a very important passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In that chapter, Paul is describing how, lest he be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation that was given to him, there was also given to him a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan who buffeted him. Now, the word translated messenger there is angelos, the Greek word that is normally translated angel. So, once again, that word, whether it be in Hebrew or Greek, in the original languages, covers a lot of territory. And that brings up our next question, because if the messenger of Satan that buffeted Paul was, of course, a demon, not an ordinary angel, but one of Satan's emissaries, then are Satan and demonic are Satan and his demonic underlings fallen angels? This is a question that must be visited. Let me say it again. Are Satan and his demonic underlings fallen angels? In important biblical passages, evil spirits are referred to as angels who are under the authority and control of Satan. For instance, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is giving his parable of the sheep and the goats. And when he pronounces doom on those who have not walked with God, he says, depart from me, you curse it, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so Jesus himself in the 41st verse of Matthew 25 refers to the demonic underlings who serve Satan and his purposes as being angels. So apparently they are fallen angelic beings. Also in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, listen to this description. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, many people believe that a third of the angels fell at that time. And many people believe that the devil and his angels are somehow locked inside of hell and Satan from that place in an enthroned position sends his demons into the world. Now, neither of those ideas are provable by the Bible. Now, there is an analogous symbolic passage that kind of implies that a third of the angels fell because in Revelation 12, a few verses earlier, John said he saw a sign in heaven of a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads, which was definitely a reference to Satan. And verse four says his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And that's the only scripture that even implies that a third of the angels fell during the initial uprising where Satan rebelled against God. So you can't absolutely prove that. It's possibly true, but not definitely true. Now, what about the origin of Satan? When did he come into being? When did he become this evil entity? this prince of darkness. Well, some trace it back to Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 19, and I'll quote the first few verses. In the New King James Version, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be thrust down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. You will be thrust down to hell, the King James Version says, and so according to this passage, Satan initially rebelled against God with five statements. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high. He's referred to in the versions I've quoted from as Lucifer, and yet not everyone believes that Lucifer can be a proper name for Satan because the original Hebrew word could mean morning star, and it could be just a descriptive word, not a personal name, and it's only found here. Jesus never referred to Satan as Lucifer, and it's not found anywhere else in the Bible. So that is questionable. But finally, I want to ask the question. How powerful are angels? Well, angels are extremely powerful. One angel conquered an entire Assyrian army in Isaiah 37 because an anointed prophet named Isaiah and an anointed king named Hezekiah prayed and sought God. When the Assyrian army surrounded Jerusalem, and it looked like there was going to be a bloodbath. Instead, God sent one angel into the camp of the Assyrians. And the next morning, 185,000 soldiers lay there dead, corpses littering the battlefield that were stricken by this angel. One angel shut the mouths of the lions in the den that Daniel was thrown into. One angel rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb, which would have been impossible for one human being, most likely. One angel will ultimately bind Satan in a bottomless pit. So angels are very powerful. And if God sends them into our lives as protectors, then we can be assured of very powerful intense, divine involvement in our lives. Now, we're going to be exploring many more ideas concerning angels in upcoming episodes, but I've laid the foundation in this episode, and I hope that it's been very informative to you. God created angels to be ministering spirits that minister to the heirs of salvation, and so these are very present in our lives, probably on a daily basis, though we are not sensitive to them. But in an upcoming episode, I'm going to talk about whether or not it's wrong or right to communicate or to strive to try and communicate with these angelic beings. Does that open the door to deception? Is it something that happens only when God allows it and initiates it? These are questions that need to be answered. So join me on the next episode where we continue this theme of the revelation of angels.
0: Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global Internet family.